You're listening to Connecting the Universe from Mike Ricksecker and ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Welcome, everybody, to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker, back at you with another interactive class out of the secret library of the Connected Universe. Although we're not really in the secret library tonight. Call it more of like a satellite library. Uh, on the road again, and um, you know, got a nice little setup going on here, and uh, we're making it work. We're making it happen. So tonight we're going to be talking about consciousness we're going to be talking about eternal knowledge we're talking about tesla how all of that uh fits in and uh, let me know down in the chat how this sounds i'm actually using a new soundboard this evening so by all means please go please go ahead let me know that everything sounds good it's essentially the same thing that i had before everything's supposed to be set correctly or you know the exact same way that i had it before but you never know you know uh from device to, to device, things kind of change. So for those listening to the podcast version of this later, I do want to let you know, uh, please join us every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time for the full live Connecting the Universe experience on ConnectedUniversePortal.com. There's a 30-day free trial there, which gives you access to, of course, the weekly Connecting the Universe interactive class. With the after show, those that are watching this on the YouTube portion, you don't get that after show. That's for members only. Uh, you also get sneak peek and behind the scenes videos, monthly Q&A videos, exclusive articles, insider travel blogs, uh, video travel blogs, including ancient Egypt, American Southwest, Ireland, uh, so much more. Now, we're going to be getting some clips of, uh, of those this evening as well. All that and more collective universe, connected universe portal.com. If I could talk correctly. And by the way, for those that are members, go ahead and get the app. You get the app loaded up on your phone. You get all the notifications pushed your way so you know when new videos are posted, uh, new articles, when this show goes live, all that wonderful stuff. Also, do want to let everybody know, of course, we do have the Stargates of Ancient Egypt tour that is coming up in April, April 16th to the 28th. I do have to, on the graphic there, get that 17 change to a 16. Our first official day touring is a 17th, but our welcome dinner is on the 16th. And uh, between, depending on when your flight comes in, it might be 15th or 16th, uh, you know, all that fun stuff when it comes to the airlines. Uh, but... Uh, wonderful, wonderful tour. Uh, so many secret places we get into. And I'm not kidding. I just posted one of them uh, two or three days ago on my social media, uh, an ancient tomb that we were able to get to within Tanis, that the treasures from that tomb are in the Egyptian Museum in Cairo right now. 
They don't usually let people in there, but Mohammed knows the guys. And even for him, it was like uh, the first time in 15 years he'd gotten in there, but uh, he, he does uh, hold quite a bit of sway there. So great to see uh, several people down there in the chat tonight. Android Paranormal, great to see you. Uh, Jason Thompson, great to see you again as well. Tom McNicholas, tell me everything sounds good. Awesome. Really, really appreciate the feedback on that. All right. So our class question for this evening is, what do you believe consciousness to actually be? So we did have some responses to this. Uh, Sarah Yusuf said energetic construct. Very cool. Uh, Jen said consciousness is the higher power everyone keeps talking about. Alina says, I feel like consciousness is actually the very essence and part of us that keeps us deeper. I'm sorry, that keeps us spiritually awake. If I could stay on the right line, that keeps us spiritually awake. Uh, it helps us feel deeper and prevents us from being an empty shell. People who lack it are basically zombies. So it's kind of a uh, interesting concept. They were talking about, you know, people who kind of lack consciousness or lack consciousness are more like zombies because there are different ideas and concepts of like background people. You look into like Dolores Cannon, Cannon's work, uh, background people, quote unquote, filler people, uh, Nick Bostrom who in uh, 2003 wrote uh, an article in the Philosophical Quarterly about uh, whether or not we were living in a simulation. We'll touch on some of those concepts here uh, later on. <clears throat> it suggested that, quote-unquote, shadow people, not in our supernatural sense. Right? And this is, again, the term shadow people has been around for centuries. Uh, and with uh, his concept of shadow people here, it was more like, okay, if we're living in a simulation, then these type of people uh, really only have uh, sufficient resources to be able to kind of you know, do the, the basic things. And it taxes the system um, a lot less. So if you think of like a, uh, like a computer program, you, know, you might have all kinds of different things uh, populating the program make a computer game, what have you. A lot of those uh, NPC non-player non characters that are just kind of, you know, character walking down the street has not much really to do with the game or simulation at all. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, those are taking a lot less resources, but that's kind of his uh, his idea of, of shadow people there. It's kind of, I believe what Alina was, was alluding to there. All right, so let's go ahead and, and dive into this idea of consciousness. Now, with my latest work here, Travels Through Time Inside the Fourth Dimension, Time Travel and Stack Time Theory, we do talk about where consciousness resides within the levels of the different various dimensions. Let's go over this real quick. Uh, I know for those that have been around for a while, I've seen this before, the various dimensions here. You know, we have up to, according to our uh, theoretical physicists, up to 11 hyperspatial dimensions. The one that you see, the first one you see here on the screen that's actually a, um, a hotly debated di dimension, uh, dimension zero, <laughs> it's a point. Uh, then you have dimension one, that's a line. Second dimension is a plane, basically a flat surface. Think of like a piece of paper. But a piece of paper actually does have three dimensions, a very, very, very narrow third dimensional side. 
but when we think of three dimensions, we generally think of a cube. Now, our consciousness resides on the fourth dimension, which is the dimension that we call time. Now, time is just a human construct. We use it to uh, to keep track of things. You know, it's a it's a tool. It's a measurement tool. We use it to keep track of the seasons, when to plant the crops, when we need to show up at work at the right time so our supervisors don't get upset with us, that sort of thing. You know, when when the uh, school bus has to come and, and pick up the kids and, and all of that sort of thing. So it's a tool. And time for across the cosmos, different parts of the universe is going to work differently there than here, just in the way they may count it. You might even have a species that doesn't, that does not count it. Our, think of every other animal on this planet. We're the only one, we're the only ones that keep track of time. You know, cats over here, you know, keep track of time. They, they generally, uh, you know, what, sleep during the day, walk around at night, and they walk around during the day too. But um, you know, you have nocturnal animals, you have daytime animals, you know, so they have a biological clock, but they're not sitting there looking at a watch being like, okay, do I need to, you know, go to the food dish now and get a bite to eat? It's not like that. So with consciousness being in the fourth dimension, that makes us a very, very interesting type of being in that we are multidimensional. Because our bodies are three-dimensional objects. So we have a fourth-dimensional consciousness inside a third-dimensional body. Now, if we were to go to fifth, sixth, seventh dimension, then we would be able to see time or the fourth dimension uh, as a physical object. That was just kind of an overview. I'm not going to dive into all of those uh, details this evening. We've kind of covered that uh, when we've gotten into the well, we had uh, the introduction to travels through time uh, some months ago. We've gotten into you know what real time time travel might look like. Uh, others were just a part of the travels through time special presentation, that sort of thing. Some comments filtering in downhill here. Uh, Jim Nachinsky's in the house. There's Sarah Youssef. Uh, Tammy Harkoff is also uh, with us this evening. And Android. I uh, decided to uh, tackle the class question for this evening. He says, my theory slash answer is a type of energy that transcends dimensions and is not yet able to be detected or measured by science, which is a certain frequency that can only be emitted by a biological source. I like that because we're going to be talking about science and inter science's interpretation of consciousness this evening. Uh, it's <laughs> they fight over this. They fight over this. So this is pretty wild. All right. So I wanted to talk about, I want to start off with Nikola Tesla in all of this. I have fun talking about, uh, about our friend here. And we're going to start it off with his uh, telatomaton. And this was a really, really fantastic idea. 130 years ago, this was in the 1890s. He actually developed this thing. And this is actually, it's, it's a miniature submarine. It's a miniature boat. And he developed this during the Spanish-American War as a way to try to, he was trying to prevent the loss of human life. He, his idea was that if you could get two sides 
uh, or both sides of warring factions to utilize machines to fight each other rather than human lives and you could save human lives. So the idea here was to uh, send this miniature submarine out, attach some uh, torpedoes to it, and it would launch the torpedoes at various boats and, and what have you. And this was all controlled via radio waves. I mean, that's, that's kind of what Tesla specialized in, AC power and radio waves. Again, he, his grand vision was free wireless energy. But there are different ways that you could utilize that. Now, with the Telautomaton, he envisioned this as actually the uh, really first intelligent sentient machine. Because the idea was that you could, or it could, issue its own commands. It could learn from its environment, detect where the target is, and then make a decision as to whether or not to launch the torpedo. This is really the world's first drone. And this idea here is really artificial intelligence, way ahead of his time. Okay. Now, he took this idea even further. And what he said, you know, about a, a Telautomatons and you know, taking it further than this, this little submarine, this little boat they created. He said, long ago, I conceived the idea of constructing an automaton which would mechanically represent me and which would respond as I do myself. Such an automaton evidently had to have motive power, organs for locomotion, directive organs and one or more sensitive organs so adapted as to be excited by external stimuli. Whether that automaton be of flesh and bone or of wood and steel, it mattered little, provided it could provide all the duties required of it like an intelligent being. So you know what he's talking about here? He's talking about developing a robot, what we would consider a robot these days with artificial intelligence in it. It would look and act and respond as he does. This is 130 years ago, okay? They, they weren't thinking about artificial intelligence back then. He got laughed out for these types of ideas and concepts. Nobody took him seriously. He talked about other things like, you know, having the, uh, the knowledge of the world in a device that you could put in your pocket. Well, that's our cell phones today. Now, he didn't have the idea of, you know, what a cell phone would ultimately look like and how it would function with his uh, drone technology there, the telautomatons, his idea of a telautomaton of himself. Now, he's thinking back then of, well, it's going to be gears and wheels and radio waves and, and these sorts of things. He didn't know anything about the silicon microchip yet, which would come along after he had passed away. But those ideas came to him. He was tapped into something. These were ideas that were 100 years ahead of his time, which is why he got laughed out of the ballpark with it. Nobody was taking them seriously because, you know, they were just looking, okay, can we transmit, uh, you know, a piece of communication from uh, land out to a boat uh, in the sea? 
you know, which is essentially because Tesla's ideas were so grandiose. He's trying to send a signal across the world. And you know, the, the other uh, pioneers at that time were like, well, we, we got to you know, do the small step first. Let's just get a signal out to a boat. You know, uh, he was way past them. And his shtick on this was that, well, yeah, I already know it's possible. So I don't need to actually develop it. I don't actually need to create it. I already know it's doable. I've, I've got that part in my head. And I know these other things that I want to do are absolutely possible because, again, I have the idea in my head. So let's go ahead and go forth with it. And because those ideas are so to the others of the arrow so far-fetched, you got laughed at, you got funding pulled, the, the Wardenclyffe Tower, J.P. Morgan pulled his funds. Um, you know, one of the deals, of course, was, was that uh, Tesla's grand idea was in free energy and J.P. Morgan's looking at it like, I, I want some money out of this. But he also saw that uh, Marconi using Tesla's technology was sending messages uh, to different parts of the globe, a much, much smaller distance, but because they could see that happening, he's like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to put my money there. Now, invention of uh, the radio originally attributed to Marconi it was after Tesla died, they actually did in a court award that to Tesla. So fun fact there. So what was Tesla? Where was he getting these ideas from? How was it? He was so, so, so far ahead of his time. Well, we're going to talk about the collective unconscious among some other things this evening. I'm going to take a look at your comments here first because quite a few things came in while we were chatting. Um, yeah, Sarah saying making any dream into reality is just a matter of time and creativity. Yeah, uh, Tesla, well, in, in funding for him, he, he kept running out of money, unfortunately. And uh, yeah, Andrea is, is definitely mind-blowing. So Jason saying, if further Tesla possibly had extraterrestrial influence slash guidance, any information on that theory? Uh, and all of the, and, and I've uh, read some biographies on Tesla, and everything that I've read on Tesla, uh, as far as his biographers are concerned, never mentioned specifically any sort of extraterrestrial involvement. But he did, when he was uh, younger and living in Serbia, he did say that he astroprojected, not using those terms, using other terms, but essentially described astroprojecting. So he was connecting with the ethereal plane in a variety of different ways. Another way that I believe that he was doing that was through the collective unconscious. We have talked about this before, and this was developed. Uh, this idea came from Carl Jung, uh, which basically through what we call the collective unconscious, each person is connected with universal experience of the human race to the history, thoughts, and behaviors of all. And people are able to access information that is ready, readily available to everyone. So in some ways, you can kind of look at this as the cloud computing of the connected universe. There's an eternal knowledge that's out there. That's past, present, future. All the information is there. 
how to uh, utilize, access, manipulate the universe. All that information is there. And over the generations, we we pick up on some of these things. So this is just a basic diagram of the collective unconscious. You have the personal consciousness, personal unconscious. That's individual to each person. But the collective unconscious is accessible to all. Now, we talked a little bit about this when we covered the Akashic Records on Edge of the Rabbit Hole about was that a month and a half ago uh, with Emily Harrison. It was there at the, uh, the end of August. And uh, this is very, very similar in concept to the collective unconscious in which you know, the records are there for uh, on everyone. All of your past lives are there. All of the information of the cosmos is there. The earth has an Akashic record. So instead of me kind of going on about that, I have a clip here uh, from Emily, from that interview that we had with her describing this. Yes, the Akashic records are the realm of consciousness that hold every detail about your life, about your soul, past, present, all potential futures. And this intelligence is recorded from a neutral perspective. Neutral meaning unconditional love and zero judgment. It's as, This is the way that God sees you, that source sees you. This also holds all of your highest potential. I feel like the Akashic records are the number one most powerful tool for expanding our consciousness because they just work so gracefully with us to show us where we're blocked. These are the two big places that I love using the Akashic records are where we're blocked and clearing that out of our way and then stepping into our highest potential into genius level creativity. And Mike might not use the same vocabulary as I do about tapping into the Akashic records, but his book and the intelligence that he brings when he shares his gifts and genius is coming from that etheric realm, super conscious intelligence, because it opens us up to a higher level of awareness, just like you described, Victoria, of being able to see the past lives, see the pieces, see the patterns, finally click, making sense. And while we have so many amazing healing modalities that are available to us here on the planet right now. When we take responsibility for healing ourselves, when we have the aha moments and the neural pathways shift, that's us taking ultimate responsibility for creating our lives. And it, it empowers us when we do it ourselves. It's like getting a boost at Jamba Juice. You get extra power for <laughs> your journey, your manifesting here on the planet. And I think the healing is more effective because you're participating it in this way where all of a sudden you understand, we know from the seven hermetic principles that the universe is mental. Everything is created from a thought. And so when you have a different thought or expanded awareness that we get in the Akashic record, you're already 10 steps ahead of the game where you were before. So that's, and that's really the place that we need to start in the Akashic Records, because truly, when you think about every detail of your past, present, future, and it's not just human souls. Mother Earth has an Akashic Record. The galaxy has an Akashic Record. The stacked time theory has an Akashic Record. Relationships have Akashic Records. So once we learn to tap into this 
library, this resource, we can begin to extract knowledge and missing pieces that are going to further our society. We get to tap into advanced levels of creativity and bring uh, technology to the planet, new medicine to the planet. All right. So that's a uh, rundown, uh, a couple minutes there of Emily explaining the Akashic Records. I'm going to put a uh, link here later that can take you to that interview with her. That was from back in August. Um, she also runs the Akashic Academy. So I want to thank Emily for, for that and her insight there. Uh, so we did have some questions come in during that. So uh, P.S. Fader, Fader now. So one of uh, Jimmy Church's followers there from Fade to Black. Always, uh, always have a great time with Jimmy. Uh, question is, what was the connection if Tesla's theory of free energy in the ether in the Great Pyramids in Egypt? So, yeah, that's a uh, it's, it's a great question there because uh, a lot of people believe that uh, Tesla was taking the concepts from uh, the Egyptian pyramids into his ideas of free energy and the Wardenclyffe Tower. So uh, that was something that Tesla studied. Uh, he did study the construction of the Great Pyramids, uh, did a lot of research into ancient Egypt, uh, Egyptology, uh, for lack of a better term. And he wanted to incorporate that, the idea of harnessing the Earth's energy. And he knew the ancients had done this. And so it was a matter of trying to figure out exactly how. So when you look at old diagrams of the Warden Cliff Tower, you will find that it wasn't just a tower resting on the ground. No, he had a shaft that went down into the ground to be able to harness the Earth's energy there. And there's uh, a lot of stories of various tunnels that were under the area and what have you. I would love for somebody to go to the old Warden Cliff site because apparently not all of it was filled in that those tunnels are supposed to still be there and actually dig in there uh, and find those tunnels. But yeah, he was, you know, same concept as like the pyramids or the stone circles, the, you know, the megalithic structures that they were harnessing the earth's energy and he wanted to be able to do the same. I see that uh, Raven is in the house as well. And then uh, Alina's here. And then Sarah is asking, how is someone supposed to work on our own awareness? I would say meditation. Uh, that's something I, I can't I can't brag about it. Uh, it's something that I need to work on as well. But uh, I don't know how many people that I've talked to and worked with uh, in these different areas. Uh, Jen talking with her about transcendental meditation. Emily there talking about the Akashic records, you know, it's, it's a lot to do with meditation and we've talked in different aspects of what comes through with travels through time, uh, that in different states of meditation, we're able to see and experience different things, whether that's a, another point in time with some sort of time slip and things like that, um, little out of scope for, for this evening. But a uh, good question. Uh, Tina's in the house. Great to see you, Tina. And uh, and you are welcome, PS Fader, Fader Knots. All right. So, yeah. So that's the rundown there on the Akashic Records. And you know, I, I believe that when 
these different ideas that come to us to seem like a, a eureka moment. Uh, I think a lot of what Tesla was doing there and, and not just him. Okay. Other people of that era seem to all of a sudden be tapped into the same ideas and concepts. Tesla was way ahead of them, but all of a sudden uh, you'll see throughout history that people are in different parts of the world, no connection to each other whatsoever. And all of a sudden they're all developing the same technology. They're all doing a little bit of a different way, but they're all trying to accomplish the same thing. And it's like, how did that happen? It's like that record was suddenly made available and those that had an interest in it and had some sort of know-how in that area were you know, made a beeline right there or picked up on it and started to do something with it. I've had my own uh, experiences with that. I've covered them before, but uh, we'll move on because we're about halfway through the show. We have other things to, uh, to talk about. So a couple articles that came up here recently about consciousness, science, these sorts of things. Posted this one the other day. Is consciousness part of the fabric of the universe? Physicists and philosophers recently met to debate a theory of consciousness called panpsychism. They debated a number of different things. Panpsychism was uh, one of this uh, article out of uh, Scientific American. Just to give you a quick idea of what panpsychism is. Uh, it's one of the world's oldest philosophical theories. Going as far back as Plato is described as a theory that the mind is a fundamental feature of the world which exists throughout the universe. But probably a more clear statement of this is from Plato. It says, uh, this world is indeed a living being endowed with a soul and intelligence, a single visible living entity containing all other living creatures, which by their nature are all related. Hmm. That sound familiar to you? Yeah, it kind of sounds like the connected universe. <laughs> so uh, it's been a little while since we covered uh, panpsychism. That was like two and a half years ago. And it's interesting because it actually came up in a, uh, in a class that we did on the future of humanity and you know, where we are going from, from here, from, from our planet. At some point, we need to get off the planet. And uh, because it, at, at some point, well, about 5 billion years from now, the sun will become a red giant and will encompass the earth and destroy us. And that's not going to happen just overnight. It's not like, you know, uh, the 5 billion year mark hits like, you know, 2012 or something. And uh, boom, all of a sudden, that's it. It's going to uh, you know, gradually become that big red giant. So it'll be before 5 billion years that we need to get off the planet. And I know this seems like a far the far cry from now, but we need to start taking those steps. And that's where we talked about this uh, because one of the uh, pioneers in that area had used some uh, quotes from a scientist who uh, very much believed in, in panpsychism. So yes, this idea that we are all connected, that, uh, that beings and entities have a symbiotic relation with each other. And so we covered this a little bit as well in, and this is from a you know, different group. You know, we talked you know, over here with this particular article was physicists and philosophers. And this is just recent uh, that they had uh, this debate. This article here is from a couple years ago, but astrobiologists suggesting the earth itself may be an intelligent entity so that the earth itself 
has its own consciousness. So the debate rages on. Right? So you have astrobiologists saying the Earth has its own consciousness. And this is something, what's fascinating about this, you, you have these different scientists that are arguing about these things today. But our ancient cultures have been talking about these things for thousands of years. The Earth having its own consciousness, we talk about Mother Earth. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of what we've been talking about for, for a long time here. And then consciousness is a part of the fabric of the universe. Well, this is saying that you know, our, our consciousness, your consciousness, the person next to you, their consciousness, they're all interconnected, yes, to the earth. Kind of what I said at the end of the one uh, Ancient Aliens episode. In the way that we are all connected together, you know, I to the person that was interviewing me, you know, us to the planet, the planet to the sun, the sun to the solar system, to the galaxy, to the universe, and beyond, by the way. Uh, this is not the only universe that is out there. And I don't mean like um, a bunch of parallel universes, parallel universes with uh, a bunch of different ones of us running around out there, actual physical universes with their own set of physics and different chemical makeups, different nuclear structure, that sort of thing. Um, but we're all connected to each other. So another one in which the debate was raging here recently was this article here. Consciousness theory slammed as pseudoscience, sparking an uproar. Researchers publicly call out theory that say uh, is not well supported but by science, but that gets undue attention. Hmm. Okay, I have a lot of different things I'm shuffling around here. So I'm going to throw a, a small snippet from a morning mug video that I did, it was last week. And then we're gonna do a, a bigger piece here uh, in a moment, but it's gonna kind of set up where we're going with this. Welcome everybody to Mike's Morning Mug. So for my morning mug post that I make, which I do every day, I uh, posted an article, basically a group of scientists that are arguing about what consciousness is. Their take was mostly on when do we actually say something has consciousness? Like, when, when does a human have consciousness? When does an animal have consciousness? Many of them would probably argue that, you know, a tree or a plant or grass or whatever, you know, has uh, consciousness to it. Where it's going to kind of come into play for us and our society is in artificial intelligence. And at what point do we actually say artificial intelligence has achieved a sentient consciousness. And so that's a little taste there of uh, Morning Mug video that's on the Connected Universe portal. I do have a link down there in the description for those that aren't members. That's one of the many things that uh, that we do out there. But uh, but yeah. So again, here we have uh, scientists arguing over what exactly consciousness is and when we would actually say something has a consciousness. With this particular one, um, they were actually 
arguing a theory describing what makes someone or something conscious called the integrated information theory. And I'm not here to really dive into what integration information theory is. Um, but yeah, they wanted to label this as pseudoscience. Uh, and you're saying that this created this massive uproar and there's now uh, polarization in the field. But what's fascinating to me is that you have all these different individuals who are supposed to be the quote unquote experts can't agree on anything. And then they go through all these great lengths to try to discredit each other. And so we even have this one here. Uh, I've posted this one several times before. I do address this one in uh, Travels Through Time. Researchers suggest a human soul doesn't die, it returns to the universe. And this was Stuart Hameroff and Robert Penrose. And in these particular studies, uh, and Penrose you'll recognize from uh, the movie Inception. He wasn't in it, but uh, the Penrose stairs that are in that movie and the ones that go around and around and around and never seem to end. They go up, they go down, and but it's a constant circle, a paradox. Uh, those are based off of his work. But uh, with the work that he was doing with, with Hameroff, they were looking at uh, microtubules inside the brain. And that this is supposed to be where the consciousness is stored. And then when the person dies the consciousness is released to the universe. Now they can't, they, they can't say where it goes. They have no idea. Uh, and they fully admit that we don't know where it goes. Uh, but they did make a differentiation between the consciousness and the physical body, which goes all the way back to what we were talking about at the very beginning of uh, this particular class was that our consciousness is on the fourth dimension and it resides within a third dimensional body. When the 3D body dies off, the fourth dimensional consciousness goes, we don't know. We don't know. Um, you know we talk about, you know, the home world. We talk about reincarnation. We talk about heaven. You know, these are ideas that we have come up with to explain where the consciousness goes after we pass away. So I have a bit of a longer clip here. And we're going to get into some ideas about, um, AI and uh, where where this is kind of taking us down the road, but in a in that same morning mug video, I kind of opined on the whole argument that these different scientists are having with each other. Yeah, I guess my whole rumination on this is to keep an open mind, right? That we want to keep the different possibilities open. That we're not to be so close-minded as to, you know, we're, we came up with a definition and we're going to stick to it. It's kind of like, you know, with, with ancient Egypt, you know, going to another uh, area of science there where, you know, they're so, some of those guys are so embedded into their narrative as like the Sphinx is this old and the pyramids are this old. And as evidence comes up to say the contrary, they're like, no, it can't be because we've already written it into our records that it's this and this and this. Okay, but we've got other evidence showing other things, which, yes, it does have ramifications for what that means for our history. That's part of the adventure. 
right? If we are discovering new things, you know, so what if I have, if I've been teaching this for 40 years and I've got three books talking about it, well, guess what? I've got a new book to come out. Okay. So we can say this is the revised edition, the updated one. We've got a brand new one. We'll come up with a new series of books. I don't know why we have to totally, you know, just discredit the whole thing because it flies in the face of everything that we've been doing. So you can look at it as all that work was a base for what I'm doing. Now, look, I've got, with uh, Travels Through Time, I've got 13 books to my credit now. But I'm really just more focused on the last three. A Walk in the Shadows, Alaska's Mysterious Triangle, and uh, in the new one, Travels Through Time. It's not to discredit the other ten, but it's like, you know, all that work was a base, kind of a starting point, kind of, um, you know, a, a, almost like training for what I'm doing now, and that was 15 years worth of work, Okay. Um, you know, my first book was published in, in 2014, um, A Walk in the Shadows came out in 2020, right? But I mean, really at like the very, very beginning of 2020, like I had the, the book was finished and, uh, files submitted and all that stuff in 2019. And then the actual publication date was 2020. Um, so 15, 16 years worth of work. In fact, I'm going to make a post here soon on the fact that I just signed my first book contract 20 years ago. Um, but you know, it doesn't discredit all that work that I did with those other books. In fact, if you if you go through all of that material and look at my current work, you will find a couple of stories pulled from those older works. Travels Through Time has a story in there from uh, Ghosts of Maryland. It has a story in there from Ghosts and Legends of Oklahoma. Those are my first two uh, ghost books that I wrote. So even though it's like my, you know, my work has taken a, a very different direction, it doesn't discredit everything that I did beforehand. That serves as a base for everything that I'm doing now. If we go somewhere else with it. And that's where I think some of these scientists get like too tunneled that, you know, I have this work and I have to hold on to it because, you know, that's what I did, you know, 20 years ago. Like, you know, you need to continue to grow. We need to continue to evolve and mature. And as we learn new things, that kind of helps to flesh out what we've done before or even take us in a new direction. Not forgetting what we had learned previously, it might change our perspective on that. But it doesn't discredit what we have learned. It gives us something to draw from. And down the road, as we start to incorporate more and more things, there might be something that pops up like, oh yeah, I remember that from you know 30 years ago. And it's not, you know, with this new information, it's not exactly the same, but how does that fit into the puzzle now? All right, so yeah. A little lengthy there, but uh, I felt that it was important that, you know, with the with the scientific community, we've looked at, at, what, about five different articles here now, and they're all kind of arguing with each other about what consciousness is, how it works, 
how the universe works with in relationship to consciousness and what have you. And, you know, each one is like, no, my, my idea, my idea, my idea. I think some, some of these are old school holdovers. And I mentioned there with, with ancient Egypt, we see that a lot there, uh, especially in a lot of our uh, archaeology, we see that quite a bit. And so I believe that we need to keep an open mind because as we get into some higher technological fields, we're going to have some really, really difficult questions to uh, try to answer here, especially as when we start getting into things like artificial intelligence. So um, Raven had asked here earlier, uh, other things that we were talking about uh, a few minutes ago, uh, could that be related to the 100 monkeys experiment? So uh, basically the idea of, um, you know, the uh, learned behavior of the monkeys kind of become a, um, a you know, once enough had learned the skill that somehow other monkeys that were were not around that area had suddenly you know, learned the same skill, almost like a mental projection and mental telepathy. Um, it's, you know, it, it's it's a difficult one to to assess. You could say that. Maybe that was possible. Maybe there was um, enough of that information put out to, you know, the universe that then they were able to connect to it. Again, all the information is there. So it was the maybe the heightened awareness that caused the other ones to be able to tap into it. You look at the human species over the millennia. And there have been massive degrees of varying technology that has been learned over the years. I mean, we still have, uh, you know, tribes out there that are still, yeah, essentially hunter gatherers. We still have some of those on this planet while, you know, we're jetting around and using computers and things like that. So it's, it's hard to really say with that. What I will say is going back to, like the collective unconscious, all the knowledge is there to be able to tap into it. So uh, let's see. Yeah, Lena, we never stop growing and learning. Absolutely. Jill saying it would be great to figure out how to break through the barriers so we could really communicate with the deceased, other dimensions, shadow people, planets. And I believe that we can. I absolutely believe that we can, that we do have uh, communication between other dimensions. We see these things play out sometimes. We don't exactly always know what the catalyst is. Uh, we at times speak with loved ones that have long since passed. It might be some sort of visitation or what have you. Uh, I believe that we can uh, project ourselves to other places in the universe, in the cosmos, other points in time. I absolutely believe that we can do that. It's all you know, through the consciousness. Um, let's see, uh, Sarah, what about connection between consciousness and life? And that's kind of the great debate. So at what point do we say something is conscious? We do see um, things like plants you know, react to various stimuli. We see it react to their environment you see it react to music you know is that because of a certain frequency or vibration 
Is it because the trees are communicating with each other? You know, some months ago, we had uh, thrown an article up there in which you know, there were studies saying that they actually could communicate with each other like that. Does that mean that they have a an actual consciousness within them? Now, that would be very, very difficult, you know, especially for for those that are, um, we'll just say, and, and I'm not putting anybody down or anything like that, but you have a lot of people that are vegetarians or vegans that some do it for health reasons, but some will, you know, go that route because they don't want to harm a living creature. Okay, I totally get that. I totally understand it. Uh, but what if we then prove that, well, you know, the plants over here have a consciousness too. You know, then what are we stuck in, in that situation? What are we stuck eating then, right? Uh, we, I think you definitely make a, a fair case that, you know, dogs, cats, you know, various animals, you know, have a consciousness um, on a different level than us. So what defines that level of consciousness? And, and these are, the, you know, the great debates of our times. We start to get uh, more and more into, I'll put it up here again, as we get closer to developing true artificial intelligence. And now this really goes back to, you know, what we were talking about at the very beginning with, with Nikola Tesla, where he was talking about building an automaton of himself that could, you know, it looked like him, it would act like him, uh, would be able to make decisions like him or even make decisions on its own. So it wouldn't be the consciousness of Nikola Tesla that, that he's talking there. It would be, would it be a consciousness? And this is something that, um, you know, we see like television show uh, Westworld really, really dove into you know, what exactly was consciousness and when would you say that this machine was truly alive and conscious? So you, can, you can make a machine act very, very similar to a human. It's all, you know, okay, decision-making. Okay, you're, you're given this situation and these are the different, we'll just say like maybe five different you know, possibilities of the way that you would react to it. And, you know, there might be certain percentages that, you know, maybe I'll do um, the first thing 70% of the time, the second thing 20% and, you know, divide up the rest, right? And then you run it through like a num random number generator, you know, to pick one of those five things based again on the weight and then that ends up becoming a decision and this is done you know like that it's a computer boom okay so it seems you need that uh degree of randomness you know, to make things seem more natural and so that's what this would do it would do it like that kind of like we do in our normal lives okay so that makes this machine a very good maybe decision maker or seeming decision maker but is it really conscious so then a big uh, to do here lately uh, we talked about it earlier this spring so you had elon musk and steve wozniak and these guys talking about oh you know things like chat gbt or you know this is too quick now that's that's business right uh you're trying to say oh they need to slow down well that's because you know, their respective companies were, you know, also working on artificial intelligence and, you know, they want to be able to catch up. Now, 
talked before, you know, chat GPT as far as, and, and others like it, you know, I'm not just singling one out. Um, but that one does a very, very good job of writing very nice papers, articles. Uh, you know, you throw something in there and the response it gives you back is very, very well written. They've done a nice job with that. Not always 100% accurate, which is kind of the problem with it. But is it is that conscious? No. It's giving some nice responses and it's able to kick things back to you. But I wouldn't say it's conscious. But at what point in time do we get to the point where we can say this thing actually has its own consciousness? That it is actually alive. And that's what these guys are arguing about. Now, when do we say something actually is alive and has consciousness to it? You know, other than, of course, physically, you know, being alive, like a living organism, that sort of thing. So, um, and yeah, yeah, like this, uh, Raven. In a laboratory, the plants reacted to scientists thinking they were going to hurt the plant. Yeah, and you see different things like that where um, plant life will react to different stimuli. So there's a reaction there to its environment. You know, is that just simply a, a vibration that's put out to the universe? Again, everything is frequency resonance vibration. We've been talking a lot about this when it comes to time travel, stack time theory, all that. Um, but it's true just with our basic surroundings right here. Like you can you know, walk into a room and if your friend, partner, whomever is in a bad mood, right? Uh, if something's wrong, you can kind of walk into the room and be like, whoa, okay, what's going on, right? You feel that. Um, and so things like plants, uh, can also react to those different stimuli. And those are very, very fascinating uh, studies. The question becomes, is that just reaction to the frequency, resonance, vibration of the room or the environment at the time? Or are they actually having some sort of emotional response because they're conscious? Philosophical debates of our time. Sarah's asking if there is universal consciousness, then does it mean that new life captures consciousness? Um, yeah, that's a good question. So, yeah, I I believe again everything is connected. Now, does that necessarily mean it has a consciousness? Well, we had these guys back here, these astrobiologists suggesting Earth may be an intelligent entity. So therefore, you know, would that would that mean that the Earth itself has a consciousness? So every time we dig into the ground, you know, are, are we hurting the Earth? I think some would make that argument that yes, we are. Um, you know, I think there's been a lot of cases made for um, when we do something, you know, terrible for the environment that, you know, the, the earth, uh, you know, the earth is mourning for what's going on uh, to it, you know, the way that we are harming it. Now, even without human intervention, uh, you know, bad things happen to the earth. 
could be a you know meteor strike. It could be, I mean, forest fires start by lightning, you know, things like that. Uh, there could be a massive uh, you know, weather effect that um, you know d- destroys an island somewhere, or a massive volcanic eruption that destroys. Those things happen. Um, they harm, sure, they harm the earth, they harm the environment, and that sort of thing. So does the earth itself physically feel that pain? Can the earth make a conscious decision to lash out at us? You know, these are all interesting, deeper philosophical questions about our, our universe and our environment. So, all right, we're getting down toward the end here. Um, yeah, I can ask, I can answer this. Jason, a bit off the subject. Uh, but I want to ask Mike, would be at any events or conventions coming up soon? I'm going to meet Alexandra Holser next week. We'd like to meet you in person at some point. Also, yeah, um, well, glad you'll be uh, meeting Alex. Tell her I said hello. Um, different things that have come up. So I'm going to be doing a uh, unveiling the shadows online event, kind of like I just did with uh, with travels through time, uh, the travels through time special presentation. I'll be doing unveiling the shadows here. I think I'm setting it up for the 19th. I need to get all that uh, put out there. I haven't done one of those in about three years, actually. Uh, next speaking gig. And Jen, I know <laughs> when I was on that interview the other night, I got this transposed. Uh, but December 2nd is... Oh, shoot. I'm going to mess this up. <laughs> what I have the Oliver House, and then I have Phoenix Mufon uh let's see here I, yeah i transposed it last time and i don't want to mess it up this time especially on this so um i have it on my website i'm trying to bring that up right now make sure you guys have the right dates so let's see here where is my website it's in one of these tabs in any case you can go to mikerixsecker.com and look at my calendar <laughs> um I think it's, let's see. Yes, I believe, yeah, Oliver House is uh, December 2nd, and then Phoenix Mufon is December 9th. And then uh, Conscious Life Expo out in LA is February 9th through the, it's no, 8th through the 10th. It's that weekend. And there it is. Jim's got it. December 2nd, Oliver House, December 9th, Mufon. Thank you. <laughs> I knew I was going to get it at some point. Ah, I appreciate you asking. So, all right. There aren't any further questions then. I'm going to go ahead and uh, kick over to the Connected Universe portal, just the after show. I do want to thank those that joined us here for the live portion. I really appreciate the conversation, the questions, all that wonderful stuff. For those that are listening to this uh, later on, you can join us live, uh, connecteduniverseportal.com every Wednesday, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. And we'll say, till next time, time really exists. <laughs> <laughs>